0: Father, thank you for fellowship, thank you for um, discussion, thank you for the way that you um, remind us that you are real, that you are here, that you care about us, thank you that you do care, thank you Lord that, um, that you brought us here with a purpose and, um, and thank you Lord that as we go along with that purpose, as we choose to align ourselves with your will, we will be made full of joy. I I thank you for that truth, and I ask you, Lord, to help us as we go through this next hour to understand more about your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Okay, so we know that God is love, love is his character, and therefore eternal life is offered to every person on the planet who will put their trust in Jesus. That is an encouragement. Incontrovertible fact from scripture anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved so um, it was God's love that's that caused him to send his only begotten son John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life um, it's his love, the Bible says, that causes the rain to fall, that causes the sun to shine, that causes the planets to spin, that causes the earth to go around the sun. Um, it's his love that does all of that. Um, but going back to Romans chapter 1, verse 7, what God wants us to know is that he doesn't call us beloved simply because he is love and that he loved the world. You see, a lot of believers, I think, a lot of Christians confuse this. We talk about God's love for us as if it's the same as his love for the world. But God's love for you as a believer is a different kind of love to the love that he has that causes him to send the rain and the sun and causes him to, um, I think the, uh, I can't remember the scripture now, but it says for God's... Um, the sun shines on the righteous and the unrighteous alike. So it's not that love. It's not the love that caused him to send his son that he has for you now. God is love. His character is love. He can do nothing but be love. And because he is love, he sent his son to offer salvation. But to those who are the called, those who respond to the offer of salvation by receiving the Lord Jesus there is a special type of love it is a family love a covenant love it is a different type of love and it is a special precious love for a special precious people and really it's important I think that we understand that in the Old Testament in Jeremiah chapter 31 God promised that there would be a new covenant. He's talking about his people Israel, and he's saying that um, that there is a day coming when he will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. So Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." They will not teach again, each man his neighbor and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, I will remember no more. Um, this covenant which is yet to be fulfilled for the nation of Israel, this covenant that is, God has promised he will make, that will put his spirit within them and write his law on their hearts. We haven't seen those days yet. Really, this this covenant hasn't fully come into being. But you and I, as Gentile believers in the Lord Jesus, who inaugurated this new covenant, we have been allowed to be partakers of this. Ephesians chapter 3 is clear that the, um, the dividing line between Jew and Gentile has been broken down. The line that was made up of the law and the covenant promises, now that's broken in Christ Jesus, and now it is possible for Gentiles to come into the place of blessing that God promised he would make through Christ. But we're not going to talk about that so much. What we're going to talk about is this new covenant promises not only to, to save people and deliver them, he promises that I will make an everlasting covenant. Go to, sorry, go to uh, Jeremiah 32, verse 40, which is a continuation of the description of this covenant. Uh, Isaiah, um, Jeremiah 32, verse um, 40, and it's here what he says. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. This is the same covenant, but a description of it. That I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts, so that they will not turn away from me. So there is another dimension to the new covenant that he promised that would come to his people that was inaugurated by Christ. There is another dimension to it, and it is not just that I will save you and deliver you, but that I will make it possible, I will will make sure you don't turn away from me. See, before... Remember in Jeremiah 31, this covenant that he made before when he took them out of the land of Egypt, they broke, even though he was a husband to them. So what he's saying now is the new covenant that he makes, not only will he make this covenant, not only will he call them to himself, not only will he save them and deliver them, but he will make sure they don't turn away from him. And we have come into that covenant That is the covenant that we belong to. We belong to God, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And he has promised that we will not turn away from him. If you have truly trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, God will hold you in that covenant relationship for eternity. For eternity. It is his promise. It is his promise. We see that in Peter's letter to, um, to believers. If you go to First Peter chapter 1, Peter is writing to Jewish believers, but he's writing, uh, God is writing through Peter to us. And what uh, Peter will say is, in verse 3, You and I are being protected through faith by the power of God. That's exactly what he said in Jeremiah 32, verse 40. I will make a new covenant with them to do them good, and I will make sure that the fear of me, the respect of me, the awe of me, will cause them never to turn away from me. I will protect you, Peter writes it, through faith. God's power will protect you through faith. Who is the you? Who is he protecting? According to First Peter chapter one, be specific. Me, yeah, me—that's specific. <laughs> Thank you. But it was to those who have been born again. Have you been born again? Have you really? Don't 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 answer directly. Don't look at me. Look down at the table if you have to. Have you been born again? Because it is impossible to be born again and not be changed. It is impossible to have God live within you and you be the same as you were. How could that possibly be? We're talking about the God who created everything. We're talking about the God who sustains everything by his word. We're talking about the God who said there's a zillion stars. We're talking about the God who made the the, the earth that we stand on. Is it possible that yeah. God could live in you and you wouldn't know it? No. Is it possible? No. That's what that's what we have to understand. This is the covenant relationship that you have been brought into, and if you have been brought into it, you know it. Yeah. You may not be aware of it every moment of every day. Of course not because you've got things going on in your mind and in your soul going on and dragging you this way and dragging you that way. You've got things happening in your life. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessary that you know it every moment, but it is necessary that you know it. It is necessary that you know that you have been born again, because it's these that God is writing to. The New Testament letters are written to those people who have been born born again, who have received the Spirit of God, who have got an inheritance, as Peter will say, that is reserved in heaven for them, undefiled, imperishable, that will not fade away. God is writing the New Testament to believers. Believers who have received the Holy Spirit. So check yourself out. Check yourself out. And if you check yourself out and you find, oh my goodness, I am not born again. It's okay. Just put your trust in the Lord Jesus and you will be. So there's no judgment here. It's not judgment. Jesus said, I didn't come to judge the world. I came to save the world. This is what God wants you to know today. If you look at your heart and you say, I am not born again. I have no evidence of God in my life. I have never had any evidence of God in my life. I don't know anything about him. I don't want to read my Bible. I don't want to pray. I don't want to get with Christians. They drive me batty. If you have that in your head, then right now say to God, I have not been born again. And oh God, I want to put my trust in the Lord Jesus. And he will save me you and he will bring you into a covenant relationship with him do you know the love of god this love of god the covenant love of god for you do you know that he will work powerfully in you to keep you to protect you all the days of your life through faith for glory Do you really have that assurance? Because God wants you to have that assurance. He promised He would not, He would cause you not to turn away from Him. Can you look back at your life and see moments where, whoa, it was so easy for you to say, I've had it with this God. But somehow you didn't, and you're still here. That's because of God and his protecting power. God promised that he would work in his covenant people so that they won't turn away from him. And that is Paul's uh, uh, statement too. Just as it's Peter's, look at Romans chapter 8. Flip back in your Bible to Romans chapter 8. And we'll start at verse... um, Uh, Where will we start? Okay, Um, we'll start at verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. And here it is. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Or tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? But in all these things, verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why not? Because God has made a covenant promise that he will keep you. He will keep you. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus because you are in Christ Jesus if you have been born again. The love of God will keep you from being separated from the love of Christ and the love of God will enable you to lay hold of that love and wrap it around yourself like a blanket. It will enable you to hold on to it like a life jacket in a storm. It will enable you to hold on and hold on and hold on and hold on so that you are never lost. Never lost. Why? Because God has come into a covenant relationship with you and he never breaks his word. He never breaks his word. Look at Jude 1. Um, you can either trust me when I go there or you can go there yourselves. Jude 1, um, just a really short letter, Jude verse 1. Jude, a bond servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. <laughs> kept for Jesus. That is what God is doing if you are born again. He is keeping you. That word keep means preserve, protect. God, watch over. He is keeping you for what? For Jesus. He is keeping you for Jesus. What verse is it? Just uh, one and two. Okay. Mm. Thank you. Mm. A special covenant love of God for you that will conquer everything in your life that tries to pull you away from God. That's not the general love that God offers the world. That's not the type of love that sends the rain and the sun. That is a special covenant love of God. And if you are in Christ Jesus, that is the way he loves you. Now, why am I saying this? Why is God saying this in his word? Why is he saying it? Because you and I need to know that. You need to know that God loves you that way. That's why it is a tragedy in our day that everybody is told they're all children of God. They're not. They are not. Just because God loves the world does not make them children. You have to come into his family. You have to be born into his family to be a child of God. You have to be born. Jesus said in John chapter 3, you must be born again. You must be born again. It's clear in Scripture. And when you are, you are loved with this special covenant love, a love that calls you precious, a love that says, you cost the life of my son. What does Paul say? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not also freely give us all things? This is the love of God for his children. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, or I'll go there, you just, uh, in this you greatly rejoice, well let's go, I'm going to go back to verse 5, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honour at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. When you read these words, when you understand this love of God for you, It causes in you a love for Him, and that love is expressed as you praise Him. And as you praise Him, that is joy inexpressible and full of glory. Do you have that? Do you have that? Do you experience that in your life? Not every moment. Life's not easy, it's hard, and bad things happen to good people. That's the reality of this life. Bad things happen to Christians all the time. So do you really experience this joy inexpressible and full of glory? When you do, what you are hearing God say is, I have justified you. I am sanctifying you, I will glorify you and I will keep you through the entire process because you are mine, nothing will separate you from me, you are my beloved, highly esteemed and as you grow in the knowledge of that love, what will happen do you think? You'll change, yeah. I know we all, we've all got to say we'll be better people and we'll keep the rules and we'll do this, we'll do that. We won't swear, we won't kick the cat. We won't argue with our husband or wife. Definitely we won't do that. All of that is good, but that's not it. What will happen as you start to understand this great love of God for you? Transformed, that's another great word. Great spiritual Christian word. You will love him back. You will (coughs) love him back. That's what happens. And whoa, amazingly, we find that in the Word. We love because you first loved us. How amazing is that, that it would be there? (coughs) We find, when we understand this love of God for us, that we can't help but respond to that love. Everybody likes or loves someone who loves them, unless they're weird, (laughs) you know. If you know that someone loves you, it attracts you. It doesn't repel you. We respond to love and we respond to the great love of God. You and I responded first when we heard about his love in Christ Jesus and then as we grew in our knowledge of that love, it just pulled us and pulled us and pulled us closer because who doesn't want to be loved like that? Tell me, have you got enough love in your life that you don't want to be loved like that? Psalm 42. The whole Bible talks about the response to this sort of love. Psalm 42, (coughs) verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before my God? There grows in you an intense longing to be in the presence of God that nothing else will satisfy. The deer pants for the water brooks because without the water, the deer dies. This is the type of love that David is describing. Without you, God, I'm dead. Without your love, I'm dead. Job, look at Job. Job 23, just back before the Psalms. Job 23, verse 12. Job in all the tests and trials of his life this is what he says in in chapter 23 verse 12 I have not departed from the command of his lips God's lips I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food Job who has had everything stripped away from him who will say I think it's in chapter 6 or chapter 19 I always get those mixed up Um, It is still my consolation and I rejoice in unsparing pain that I have not denied the words of the Holy One. Job, who sees the truth about who God is through all of this circumstance in his life and chooses, decides, I will not depart from the words of his mouth. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And why is all this hit there? Why is it all there in the Bible? Why has God written it all down? So that you and I can look at it and say, do I experience that? Are there days in my life when his word is more important to me than my necessary food? Are there days when my soul pants for him like the deer pants for the water? Are there days in my life like that? Not every day. You're still a human being in a human body. You've still got human things going on. You've still got your family, you know, (laughs) and you've still got friends, and you've still got difficult circumstances, of course. But do you have those days, those moments? Because they're the gift of God to you, and he's calling you through them. (coughs) And when you hear about this God, he wants you to experience him. I love this, um, you know, the Spirit takes the Word of God and, and, and makes it alive to us. So if you have the Spirit of God, the Word of God is alive to you. Mm-hmm. It's alive. It's not just that you can understand it, although you can. It's that it is alive. It speaks into your circumstances. It speaks into your life. <coughs> and what, um, what God does through that is that he turns that into an experience of him. So, the Spirit takes the word, speaks it into your life. You start to experience what God is already saying in the word. You start to experience that for yourself. And in that way, you start to grow in this covenant relationship. And that relationship's like marriage. You know, I mean, before I met my husband, my friend met him. And she said, I've met this really great guy, and he's so funny in a good way, humorous and he's really good at this, and he does this, and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and I heard all of that. So she said, I want you to come and meet him. So I went to meet him. And, you know, he was reasonably funny. <laughs> you know, But I didn't know all of the rest of it was true. I heard about him. I heard it was all true, but I didn't know him. I only knew that it was true after I lived with him, and after living with him for 46 years. I can tell you, my husband is the funniest man I have ever met. (laughs) In all ways. (laughs) No, humorously. He is funny. He is honest. He is good. He is the things that I heard about him. Do you see what I mean? But I've experienced those things because I've lived with him all this time. That's our relationship with God. You won't experience the truth until you surrender to it, live in it, trust it. That's what has to happen. And that's the relationship. It is the covenant marriage relationship that God is offering us. And the more you grow in that relationship with God, what will be the natural outworking in your life? What would you call your response to it? Yeah, you love him more yeah, I want a, um, the overall thing what, when Daniel understood this about God he understood that God made good on his promises he understood who God was, he lived with God he experienced the work of God God had saved him from the lion's den, he saved him all of those things happened Daniel had this experience of this God he knew it to be true and so the outward expression of that trust that love that he had for God was what we call worship that is what worship is. It is the outward expression of what you know about God. Now think about that. Worship. We think about worship as singing or music. But the Bible talks about worship in a completely different way. If you go to John's Gospel, John chapter 4, you see Jesus. Is this echoing, this sound? No? Okay. Okay. You see Jesus, John chapter 4, verse 22 to 23. Jesus has been walking, he's gone to Samaria, and he reaches a well in Samaria. Everybody will know this account. He, me- he meets a woman at a well in Samaria. And um, they have a conversation. And in John 4, 22, Jesus says to her, You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers... Will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be His worshippers. So, what does Jesus call true worship? Yeah, but here, just in this these verses, what does Jesus call true worship? <laughs> worship that is done in spirit and in truth. What does the word spirit mean? Actually, the word in the original language, it, it means no, because sometimes they put a capital S on it, but mostly it shouldn't have a capital S, it should have a small s. And actually, it means worship that involves the whole person, mind, emotion, and will. It's all, that's what Jesus calls true worship. True worship that involves your feelings i.e. your emotion, your thinking, i.e. your mind, and your will, your choosing, your response to what you know. That's what he calls true worship. And that worship happens when the whole man responds to truth. Truth. The truth that is beyond opinion, the truth that is absolute, the truth about God. When you respond with your whole being to the truth about God, that is what God calls worship. Now, think about it. Think about um, uh, going to church on a Sunday. Right? A lot of what you see in churches on Sunday that's called worship isn't worship. In this, in this definition. In this definition. What happens is people come to church and they uh, maybe they get stirred up by a song. I mean, I get stirred up by songs. I love music, and I love songs. I especially love the more recent songs. I wasn't a Christian in my youth, so a lot of the hymns that you all love, they're great, but I love this stuff. you know. And I respond to that because it speaks to me. And I respond with my emotions. That's not love. That's me responding... Uh, sorry, that's not worship. That's me responding with a part of myself to something that has touched my emotion. Nothing wrong with it, but that's not worship. You'll get people in there, sorry Mike, you'll get people in there who all, you know, the whole church raises their hands. And it's wonderful. And I love that too. And I raise my hands and I love it. And I'm carried on by the, by the emotion and the, and the feeling and it's great, but that's not worship. That's me being caught up with the crowd and going along and raising my hands and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's not worship or you'll get people who haven't been in church for a while and they hear a good message and they've sat there and they've put their money in the collection plate and they go out feeling really good about themselves because they went to church they didn't stay home and they put some money in the box my goodness but that's not worship that's not worship Jesus says true worship is worship of the whole person so that would be you hear a song and you love the words and, the, and, and it, it speaks to your emotion and that emotion in you causes you to think about this God who is speaking to you through this song and to look up in his word and see if you can match the words of the song to, the word of his, to his word and then you go out and you think I love this God who loves me so much. And the choice you make that day, that afternoon, is not to watch some pornography on the TV, but to instead talk to your God, or or spend time fellowshipping, or it affects your choices. So your emotion has had an effect on your choice. Do you see what I mean? That's worship. That's worship. The music is fantastic, and it stirs you up, and it gets your emotions going. But if those emotions are not backed up with your will and your thinking, that's not worship, that's just emotion. Now, what the Bible is saying is that God's love for us causes us to want to worship him. Is that your experience? Is that your rational experience? Not your feeling. Is that your rational thinking choosing experience that your life would be a life of worship do you see what I mean this is what God is saying worship involves the whole man the whole person and what God is saying is to the degree that you understand my love for you You will begin to worship me with the whole of yourself. That's not someone's phone. What is that? Ah. Ah. Okay. Yeah. I've got a little bit of a problem because sometimes um, I can find myself getting caught up. Um, And then if I say, "Kate, you're not really uh, concentrating properly." then my, my mind then goes to start bashing myself up rather than actually doing what God wants me to do and to be, to be my all in, in, in concentration to him. Mm-hmm. That, that happens quite a lot. Me. Mm. But, but your misunderstanding, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's not necessary that at the moment you have the emotion, you also have your mind and your will working. That's not necessary. In fact, that's probably impossible. What happens when we, when we hear a song and we get caught up with it and the words, we're actually praising God and loving God, and it's not necessary that that moment, also your mind is coming in, well, do I really think this, and have I got my Bible open, and, and you know, will I choose this afternoon to do what I'm supposed to do? That's not necessary. What I'm saying is that emotion, if not backed up by choices and thinking, is simply emotion. And I would, say that about, I would say that to anyone who was tell, would tell me that they were in love and they wanted to marry. I would say to them, you know, I don't have to say it to you probably because you're all of an age, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, I used to teach a, a, a class in a high school, t- a class of girls, about marriage and about love. And, <coughs> and the thing about love is, uh, it's, it's all different types of love, as you know. And Eros... Physical love lasts about two years. It literally lasts about two years. Not that you'd stop being physically loving after two years, but if that's all you've got uh, two years, that's what you've got, two years. If that physical, emotional love is not backed up by choices in your mind and decisions to love as a choice, your marriage is over after two years. It's gone because all you had was emotion, and emotion doesn't last a lifetime. Janet said that true love between the man and woman is, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. Yes, yes, yes. And is backed up by the choice. You know, what happens is one day you wake up and you look at them and you think, actually, really? You know, the rest of my life? Because they did what they did or said what they said, and, you know, but true love, decides to love when the person's not lovable because I made a decision to love and so that backs up my emotion and my uh, uh, that's what I'm saying that's what God talks about love he talks about love in that term that love is a choice it's a choice you make it's not an emotion yes there are emotions connected but it's a choice and love for you God made a choice to love you and his emotion was involved, and his thinking was involved, and his will was involved, and now he's expecting a choice back. You love God in that way. No, it's okay. It's not your fault. Just give him a call. Thank you. Okay, it's good because it's taken me off marriage, which is good. (laughs) Um, Okay, so let's look at what... Yes, sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Mm. the moment you worship in the temple yes. uh, which is a carnal worship and we can do the same but he's promising them a heart not of stone anymore but a heart that the people will be circumcised in the heart they will they will have a different relationship to God which is what his promise is in the covenant Yeah, yeah covenant, yeah, yeah? yeah. So, let's have a look in, the, in Scripture and see what does God call worship, because that's really important, don't you think? Because I'm saying all of this, and, and we've seen in, jo- in John chapter 4 that Jesus said true worship is in spirit and in truth. But let's go back, go back all the way to Genesis, and Genesis 22, and you will see what God describes as true worship, what he describes as real worship. So, Genesis 22... Um, Is the first time in Scripture that the word love, the word worship, and the word obey are used. It's the first time that those words are used in Scripture. And so it's really important, and it's especially important, that for the first time that they're used, they're used together in this chapter. And this chapter is about um, Abraham, you probably know. So Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, now take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So what we can first know about worship involving the whole man is that God will speak to your emotion, to your mind, and to your will. And he will expect that back to him in worship, the whole man. Look at what he says to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, (coughs) and offer him as a sacrifice. (coughs) Abraham has had loads of tests up till this point. If you've read through Genesis, you'll know. And some he's passed and some he's failed. And this is the greatest test of his life. He's failed. Uh, well, I, we won't go through it, but he's failed several times, and he's he's passed the test several times. And each time, even in the failure, God has brought him on and talked to him more about himself. And so now we're at the at the the big test, and um, he's asking uh, Abraham to sacrifice his only son. Think back to what I said in First Peter. 1 Peter, or what God said, sorry. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This experience that Abraham's having is directly brought by God. Directly brought by God. But not every test and every trial in life is directly brought by God. Some things are just part and parcel of being alive, right? But whether it's directly brought by God or part and parcel of being alive, your response to it will be one of worship or not. So whether the test is just what's common to man sickness, death, you know, losing your job all of those things which is common to everybody, believer or not or whether it's a test that God directly brought into your life and told you he was bringing it it doesn't make any difference. The opportunity for worship is there all the time. Why will you worship God if he tests you like this? Yeah. Yeah, because he's promised. Yeah. Job, yes. Trust, yeah. Because you believe that God is who he says he is. That's the only reason. And that you love him. You believe he loves you. You believe that he he works all the time for your good. You believe all of those things. And so much so that when the test or the trial or the difficulty comes, yes, it's hard. Yes, you struggle. But you do not turn away. Because you know that God is who he says he is. But in order to do that, you have to know already. Do you see what I mean? Abraham is growing in his understanding of God, but he already knows a lot about God. So God doesn't set you up for a test that you can't succeed in. The test that Abraham had here to sacrifice Isaac was at the, after a long time of walking with God. Isaac is about 115 Yes. So I mean when he had Isaac he was he was 100. So he's already that age. Isaac is about 14 or 15. So this is a long time of walking with God and knowing who God is. And God has set him up for this test. Why? I think God knows he really loves him. But yes, he, yes. now I know that you love God, he says in this chapter. But, but why else? What is God... I mean, if we believe the premise that God only works good for those who love him... No, that's not true. Causes all, good, causes all things to work together for good. Thank you, Mike. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, Thank no, you. No, <laughs> causes all things to work together for good. But that he, only, he freely gives us all good things... So if we believe that about God, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, that he is the God of the impossible. If I believe those things about God, what do I know about tests that come into my life? Therefore our benefit. Therefore our benefit. Therefore our benefits. So if there is a test and it is for my benefit, why would God allow a test that I'm going to fail in? Why would he bring something into my life that he knows I can't handle? Yes, and? And? Builds faith. And how will it build my faith? Because actually, if he brings a test and I fail, He's failed. what happens to my faith? It goes, down. it goes down. What is God all about? He's all about building up my faith. So what can I know about the test that I face today? That his grace really will be sufficient and that he has allowed this test in my life because he knows together we are ready to be victorious in it. This is the truth of God. Mike, you've got to stop talking because you can't. You have to. You can talk later. After lunch, you can have three sentences, okay? Okay. but no 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 mike yes 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 that's all true but that's confusing because what we're being shown in this is that god tested abraham with the ultimate test and abraham knew it would be successful he knew from the outset and that's what i want to get to i want to get to that place in my life where i know whatever comes into my life god has determined success for me he has determined success. And so I go along with God on the basis that He wants me. He says, "In all these things, we will overwhelmingly conquer through Christ who loves us." There is no sense that I will fail in that way, because He has assured me of victory in Christ Jesus. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Always gives the victory. Yes, that's where we want to get to. Yes, we make mistakes. Yes, we fail. Yes, we do those things in our everyday life. But the tests of God, the tests of God that come at us like this, or the big things in life that he uses to test us, there is no possibility of failure if you continue to put your trust in God. And that's what we see in Genesis 22. There was no possibility. And Abraham knew it. He knew it. Yes, yes, David, we're going to, actually, yes, that's what we're going to do. And we see that in Genesis chapter uh, 22, verse 3 to 5. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham says to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham knew he, they would both return. Go ahead, Julie. It is, it is. But Abraham was focused on this problem. He was focused on this problem and this test, but he, it didn't distract him from the truth about God. yes, and I think that's true, definitely. Yes. Well... What Abraham trusted was that God would make good on his promise. Yeah. Yeah. He, and that's what David has just said. In yeah. Hebrews, yeah, yeah. yes, and in Hebrews that makes that clear. In Hebrews chapter 13, no, chapter 11, yeah. he, uh, it states that Abraham was convinced that God would, if, he, if Isaac died, God would raise him from the dead. And he was, so, in fact, Hebrews um, 11, verse 17 to 19. Hebrews 11. 17 to 19. Um, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So there is this, we don't get it until the new testament but the uh the uh kind of commentary that we're given in in hebrews about genesis 22 is that uh, abraham knew god and he so trusted his promise that he even thought god would if he took isaac he would raise him from the dead so for abraham this is what i'm trying to say Yes, God causes all things to work together for good. Yes, we make mistakes and He does that. Yes, the whole tenor of your life is going to be to glory. But the tests that come from God, the difficult tests that come from God or that come from the world and God uses are always for your growth in the faith. They are always for your building up. They are always for your victory. They are never, you are never, ever, ever set up for failure. Yeah. Ever. Ever. It is always for victory. And that's like a it is. It is. But... That's, and and what's this life about? What is the whole purpose of this life? You've just said it Kate. So say it again. What's the whole purpose of this life? <laughs> <laughs> is to glorify God by trusting that he is taking us on, that he is building us up, that we are going with him to glory. What is it say in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18? And we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed moment by moment from glory to glory as to the Lord. That is the understanding of the walk of the Christian, that we all, as we behold Christ, We are being transformed from glory to glory into his image. That's the reality. And the testing, the testing. You see, we hear that word test, and it's like automatically a dagger to the heart because I'm not going to pass, and oh my goodness, I'll never do that, and this is terrible, and why does God test, and all of those things. But if you know that God is testing, that his testing is for growth and success, and victory and to make another reason for you to love him then you would really be saying bring it on yes witness to other people but particularly this is the witness for Abraham what Abraham learns about God in this chapter he would never have learned any other way at the end of this chapter and I have to get to the end because you've all talked way too much but we have to (laughs) I'm only kidding, I'm just kidding. So, Mike, you can put your head up, it's okay. <laughs> I know, it's hard for you. I know, I know it's hard. I know, I know. So, what we get when we get to the end of the chapter is that Abraham is told a new name of God. He, for the first time, God gives him the name, a new name for Abraham to know God by. And it is Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord, always provides always provides and we see it there's so much in this chapter that you could say Abraham lived by promises he trusted the promises not the explanations he never got explanations for things he never got the answers to the why or where or when or how he just trusted the promise of God God had said through Isaac your descendants will be more numerous than the sand on the seashore or the stars in the sky and Abraham trusted that promise. He trusted that promise. True, it like Not worry about that mm. or, like, when, mm. Just, mm. It's But it's it, it there's more who said that Anne, sorry, you were saying oh my God yeah yeah pea brains we've got pea brains for sheep actually sheep probably don't even have a pea brain they have an even smaller brain they have a seed brain we have pea brains difficult for us and that's what paul says in ephesians he'll say um for for, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we can ask or imagine so the the god we're worshiping is beyond us and uh, in second corinthians or i think it's second in the first corinthians eye has not seen ear has not heard nor mind conceived what god has in store for those who love him every single test that comes into your life from god directly or from outside of god that you are faced with the choice to worship that is to take your emotions and your thinking and your will your will and you choose to continue with God, to continue to trust, to continue to love him, to continue to believe his promises, every single one of those tests will take you further on into glory. I mean, it's an amazing thing. Abraham heard this word for God, Jehovah. this name for God, Jehovah-Jireh, the Lord will provide, because God provided a ram for uh, to take the place of Isaac. He provided a sacrifice right at the death when Abraham was just about to kill Isaac. You can't imagine, I mean, we're talking about it like it's, you know, this is, this is a drama of epic proportion that is pra- played out in this short chapter. It's just, you know, unbelievable that, I, that Abraham could trust God And unbelievable that Isaac could trust Abraham. I mean, there's so many things in this chapter. We could have spent the whole day, the whole week in this chapter discussing it. But what we find out at the end of it is, worship is loving obedience to the God we know. Um, (laughs) How does he begin? Take your son whom you love, Isaac. First time love is used. Take your son whom you love and offer him as a burnt offering. And Abraham is ready to do that because he knows who his God is and he trusts his promises. What about us then today? I mean, what about us? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. We already looked at Ephesians 1 when Paul prays uh, that we might know what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. There is a surpassing great power at work towards you. You don't feel it like an electric shock, but it's there. And um, Ephesians 3, verse 20 to 21, which I've just quoted, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever god provided the sacrifice for abraham and he did it in a way that was really natural it wasn't a whole flock of goats that suddenly came in the field flock you don't have flock do you have flocks of goats anyway it wasn't a whole flock of them it was one ram caught in the bush you know you could have looked at that and thought well that was just coincidence (laughs) don't we do that all the time And yet, God provided that. And Abraham knew it. He knew it. And God was glorified in Abraham's obedience. And he will be glorified in yours. You see, you don't see that. And obedience is hard. It's hard. It's easy to have our minds, uh, our um, emotions stirred (coughs) by songs and music. That's easy. It's easy to sway along when everybody's raising their hands. That's that's easy. But it's hard to make the choice to sacrifice something that you love <coughs> because you love God more. It's hard to determine that come what may, I am trusting my God. What's the definition of true worship? True worship always results in conscious, loving, obedience to the truth of God. That is what real worship is. It is. conscious, loving, obedience to the truth of God, or the revelation of God. And real, true worship always glorifies God, always glorifies God. If no one ever sees your obedience, your loving obedience, I'm not talking about loving obedience because you have to, because you're afraid of some punishment, because we could all do that. I'm talking about willing, loving obedience when you don't always know why and no one else will see. Yeah. That always results in glory to God. Always. Ephesians chapter three verse ten says that the manifold wisdom of God is made evident in the heavenly places through the church. That's you and me. Can you say that again. Anne? It's three. Ephesians three ten. The manifold wisdom of God, the various types of wisdom of God, are made evident in the heavenly places through the church. That's a slight paraphrase, but through the church. So through the believers. God's wisdom is shown, and it's shown in the spiritual realms. So though no one else sees your obedience, God sees it, and the spiritual beings see it. And you can rest sure that there is singing going on in heaven. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says, I rejoice over you with shouts of joy, or singing depending on your translation, I rejoice over you with singing. When does God rejoice over you with singing? When you lovingly obey what you know about him because you love him so much that it is the way that you respond to his love for you. And what happens when you lovingly obey God? He's glorified and and you love him more. I mean, who would ever figure that out? That doesn't seem to make sense. When I do something I wouldn't normally want to do, because I love God enough to do it, he's He is glorified. And when He's glorified, what happens to me? You're I'm filled with joy. Yeah. First Peter chapter one verse nine: And though you have not seen Him, you love Him, and rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Amen. Amen. Jesus says at the end of John 15, I have said these things to you that my joy might be in you and your joy made complete. God says these things in his word that his joy might be in us and our joy made full. This is a no lose bet. Well, it's not even a bet, it's a no lose situation. Choose today. Receive his love for yourself today. Mm. And you'll find that the worship that he's talking about will start to come from, you, from inside of you. You are highly esteemed and greatly loved and as you choose to grow in your knowledge of the God who loves you in a covenant, family, marital relationship as you choose to grow in that knowledge you will be blessed beyond imagining Father thank you so much that that's true thank you Lord that you are a blessing covenant keeping covenant-making God that you want us to know you because you want us to experience and receive for ourselves this just overwhelming love that you have poured out for us through the Holy Spirit who was given to us help us Lord we don't automatically know how to do this we don't automatically receive this love so much from our own lives and our Our background and our childhood comes crashing in to try to distract us from receiving this love. But Lord God, help us today to push everything else aside by a simple act of our will and to say, Lord God, thank you for loving me this way. Help me to grow in my understanding of you and to love you with all that I have and all that I am. In Jesus' name we pray, Lord and for your glory. Amen.